ShareCare is the leading online health and wellness engagement platform, providing millions of consumers with a personal, results-oriented experience by connecting them to the most qualified health resources and programs they need to improve their health. It's time now for ShareCare Radio on RadioMD.com. Here's your host, Dr. Daria. Hi, welcome back to ShareCare Radio on Radio MD. This is Dr. Daria. Our next guest is a man who is a doctor, parent, and American citizen. I truly admire very deeply, and I'm so excited to have him. He's Dr. Thomas Frieden. He's the current director of the CDC. He's a specialist in internal medicine and infectious disease. He was the man you probably saw on the front lines of the Ebola crisis. And as former commissioner of the New York City Health Department, he cut the number of teen smokers in half and eliminated trans fats in restaurants. He has a new article out in the New England Journal of Medicine talking about the biggest public health challenges facing us today. And we're going to start there. Dr. Frieden, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. So I want to just jump into that article and what you had written. You know, as far as public health interventions, you know, where can the greatest and most effective differences be made on the public health level? Often the biggest changes, the biggest improvements in health come from outside of the health sphere, whether it's um, reducing poverty or improving housing, Mm -hmm. addressing factors in the environment. Uh, The next best thing are things that change the context to make our default decisions the healthy decisions. We don't have to worry about getting uh, um, uh, a diarrheal disease from drinking water from our taps. That Mm -hmm. makes us unlike most people in the world. And that's what you want to do in general. We've reduced uh, neural tube defects, for example, by Mm -hmm. having of folate supplementation or folate uh, enriched flour and other micronutrients, things that are that make it easier for us to go with the flow and still be healthy. That's the sweet spot for public health. That is such, I've, I've never heard it put that way. So essentially you make the context amenable and encourage a healthier lifestyle for people. Imagine if we had a society in which every kid reached adulthood not being addicted to nicotine, being Mm -hmm. at a healthy weight, having a healthy relationship with alcohol, getting regular physical activity, and Mm -hmm. of course, uh, not smoking. If that were the case, we would be massively healthier as a society. Be a drastic difference in our health overall. So let's jump into some of those specific things you're doing. First on infectious disease, a lot of people think of that, the CDC for those. You know, what are some of the biggest threats to health in the U.S. as far as infectious diseases? Infectious diseases are not dead. We still have significant problems in this country and around the world. Hepatitis C is something that affects baby boomers ages 45 to, or born between 1945 and 1965 in particular. Get a test for hepatitis C. Talk to your doctor about treatment if you're infected. Mm -hmm. Drug resistant, uh, organisms are increasing and are a real threat to us. Uh, and it's so important to understand that all medications, including antibiotics, have both risks and benefits. Sometimes a patient will go into a doctor or nurse practitioner's office and say, I, I want an antibiotic. But if the antibiotic is not necessary, not only won't it help you, but it may harm you. Mm-hmm. Things like uh, C. difficile, which is a, an infection caused by taking antibiotics, mm-hmm. or getting drug-resistant bacteria that will make a future infection much more difficult to treat. So confronting antibiotic resistance is very important. And of course, we still have in this country nearly 50,000 infections each year with HIV. So we need to do more to make sure that we stop the HIV epidemic. Well, there's there's a lot that we can do to improve the way uh, we treat infections and prevent infections, whether that's vaccination or 
rational use of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And that you make some great points for Hep C. I mean, the treatment for Hep C has really revolutionized the course of that disease for many people, which is why it's even more important that they get tested and find out if they have it. And so, and I do the same thing talking to my patients about the use of antibiotics and wanting to be good stewards because the risks of side effects and downstream drug resistance. So those are really great. And what is the CDC doing to educate people about those? We have a program called Get Smart About Antibiotics, <laughs> encouraging doctors, uh, nurse practitioners, other clinicians to use antibiotics rationally. We're also encouraging every single hospital in the country to have a stewardship program where they look at their antibiotic use, they look at the patterns of drug resistance, and we try to get the best treatment, the right treatment to patients. That doesn't mean the most treatment. It means the right treatment. And it means an informed consumer is always going to be wondering, is this medicine really necessary? If you do get prescribed antibiotics, take the full course because not doing that increases your risk of drug resistance. Mm-hmm. Yes, but you're right. Always ask, you know, is this medicine very necessary? That's a, a great point for consumers to be able to do to empower them. How is technology playing a role in all of this? Technology is making a, a big difference. First off, information. It's great that we can get information out to people through text mm-hmm. messages, the Internet, social media, other ways. It also is allowing us to do more rapid diagnosis in some ways. So for infections in the U.S., we're now tracking them using what's called whole genome sequencing, sequencing the bacteria and viruses to understand how they're spreading to find and stop outbreaks sooner and save lives. Wow. And, you know, you know, we can't talk about viruses and infections at all without talking about the Ebola crisis as well. What were some of the lessons that we took away from that? Ebola shows that we are truly all connected by the air we breathe, by the water we drink, by the food we eat, by the airplanes we ride on. And a disease that's out of control anywhere in the world is potentially a threat anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. There are three key lessons from Ebola. The first is that every country needs to improve its ability to find, stop, and prevent health threats. If West Africa had basic public health infrastructure before, the epidemic wouldn't have happened that way. Fortunately, Nigeria did. If Mm -hmm. the cluster that started in Lagos, Nigeria, had gotten out of control, this would have gone from a terrible epidemic to a catastrophe that affected much of Africa and much of the world for years. The second key lesson is that when a country is overwhelmed, the world has to be able to surge in very rapidly. And this is something that uh, we did at CDC, but uh, the epidemic in West Africa was unprecedented and it was bigger than we could manage. Mm -hmm. So the world has to be able to deal with an epidemic like that. And the third key lesson is the importance of infection prevention and control in healthcare facilities everywhere in the world. In West Africa, this was a major way that the disease spread. And clearly in this country, uh, we estimate that there are about 75,000 deaths a year from healthcare-associated infections from other diseases. Mm-hmm. Hand-washing by healthcare workers, tracking of infections, stewardship programs can bring those down. Wow. And you're right. It, it, I think the Ebola crisis taught all of us that it's a lot smaller of a world health-wise than we may have thought. And I, I didn't know that about the Nigeria Nigeria's role in really kind of stemming the tide and how that could have changed the outcome of that. It's fascinating. But got really good lessons about controlling infection and controlling its spread around the world. Now, moving to kind of non-communicable diseases, what are some of the biggest non-communicable disease threats to our health in the U.S. right now? You mentioned some of them earlier, but let's dive in. Well, we continue to have nearly a half a million deaths a year from tobacco use. 
Wow. Uh, tobacco remains the leading preventable cause of death in this country and globally. And in fact, uh, tobacco use is uh, something which is largely preventable mm-hmm. with um, understanding that we can protect our kids from tobacco use by having a high price of tobacco, by ensuring that tobacco companies aren't marketing to our kids, by running hard-hitting ads, and the CDC has been running the Tips from Former Smokers campaign. That campaign prevents uh, or uh, helps tens of thousands of Americans quit smoking each year. Mm -hmm. Most Americans who smoke started as kids. Most Americans who smoke want to quit and try to quit each year, and ads like this help. If you smoke, quitting is the single most important thing you can do for your health, and if you want to quit, FDA-approved medications, whether it's nicotine patch or gum or uh, any of the approved medications, can double or triple the likelihood that you will succeed at quitting. Mm-hmm. And you know, also the encouragement, because you said many of them try and many smokers try and maybe fail the first time. And I always encourage my patients, that happens regularly, and it doesn't mean you're going to continue to fail. Sometimes it takes a second, third, or fourth try. And you're right, with the new medications can really increase their chances of succeeding. Absolutely. And in fact, most Americans who've ever smoked have already quit. So if you smoke, you can too. I love that. Always good to remind everybody out there who's struggling with smoking. Now, the the other thing that we talked about with the non-communicable diseases, preventing heart attacks and strokes, especially by controlling blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Blood pressure is the leading risk factor for heart attacks and strokes, and yet it's controlled in only about half of Americans who have high blood pressure. Really? It's, It's really important to know your blood pressure and if it's above 140 over 90, to get it down. Mm-hmm. You can get it down sometimes with lifestyle changes, uh, but usually that's going to require medications and often two and sometimes three medications. Mm-hmm. Control of blood pressure is extremely important. We did an analysis a few years ago of how you could save the most lives through the healthcare system. And the single most important thing that healthcare providers can do to reduce death in their patient population is to control blood pressure more effectively. Really? And the trouble with the blood pressure, they, I mean, they call it the silent killer. People don't necessarily feel an elevated blood pressure, so they aren't necessarily you know, catalyzed to do something about it. That's exactly right. There's a misconception that I'll know when my blood pressure is up, but you won't unless you take your blood pressure. And that can be very effective uh, if you get a blood pressure machine from the drugstore and take your blood pressure regularly. You can see what the levels are and get them down. Every single time your heart beats with high blood pressure, it's pounding into your brain and Mm -hmm. into the arteries of your heart and potentially damaging them and increasing your risk of having a stroke or a heart attack and not only dying young, but being disabled or unable to speak or walk. So Mm -hmm. it's so important that we do a better job on blood pressure control. That's why we've launched something called the Million Hearts Campaign to prevent a million heart attacks and strokes over a five-year period through reducing tobacco use, improving nutrition, getting blood pressure under control, and also cholesterol and aspirin use Mm -hmm. for people uh, who've had a heart attack or stroke or other vascular problem before. So say somebody's listening and they do want to learn how to control their blood pressure. You know, where's a good place for them to get it checked? Does it matter? Go to the drugstore, go to their doctor to get it checked a couple of times? 
get into clinical care. You need to be in care if you've got high blood pressure. It's a lifelong condition. You will need to be on medications for life. There are great medicines. They're low cost if that's mm-hmm. an issue. They're once a day. If you've had uh, adverse effects from one medicine, you can try a different medicine. Uh, virtually everyone who's got blood pressure can and should have it controlled. Okay, wonderful. Yes, you're right. We have so many different options. And often people try one and need to switch to the other, but it's why it's important to stay in close contact with their physician as well. And if they're taking something for blood pressure, I always tell my patients, don't just suddenly stop taking that. Always keep taking those medicines. Absolutely. And figure out a way to take your medicines regularly that's going to work for you. Put it on top of the cereal a bowl so that you, you remember it in the morning or have someone remind you or a reminder. Not easy to take medicines every day, yeah. but for the ones that are important, uh, you have to do it. Especially when it's something as life-saving as controlling your blood pressure. Now, what about obesity is another threat you had mentioned? Obesity has increased rapidly in the U.S. over the past uh, generation or so, so we're seeing some improvement. We're seeing some leveling off of that increase. But it remains a a very serious health problem. And what we encourage is, first, let's get a good start to life. Mm -hmm. And that means baby-friendly hospitals. Still, most babies born in this country are not born in a baby-friendly hospital. That Mm -hmm. means they don't have the best chance of uh, breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. which is the healthiest nutrition and a healthy start for life. If a woman can't or chooses not to breastfeed, that's fine. That's her choice. But for women who want to breastfeed, we want the hospital to be a conducive environment for her to start. Now, what about a baby-friendly hospital designation makes that easier for her to do? There are 10 key steps of baby-friendly hospitals from coaching of the woman to education of the staff to uh, latching on in the first 60 minutes after birth to not using pacifiers uh, to not providing supplemental feeds. There are a lot of things that are evidence-based that are going to increase the likelihood that uh, an infant starts and continues breastfeeding if a hospital is baby uh, is designated as baby-friendly. Okay. And tell our listeners again, how does that impact the child's health for life? A lot of people don't always make that connection. A child who breastfeeds is less likely to get certain infections, such as ear infections. Uh, the bonding with the mother is better. The mother loses weight a little bit faster, although mm-hmm. that may be a temporary effect. It reduces the risk of certain cancers in the mother. And uh, there's some controversy about whether it prevents obesity in the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, breastfeeding for 6 or 12 months is only going to have an impact for that period. But the bottom line is that uh, uh, breast milk is the healthiest nutrition and is a good start in life. But we mm-hmm. need to go beyond that and say those first few years are really important mm-hmm. in making sure that kids get healthy nutrition with uh, fruit and vegetables, um, uh, sensible foods, and get regular physical activity. Mm-hmm. Physical activity is the closest thing we have to a wonder drug. It, even if you just take three 10-minute brisk walks a day, it makes a huge difference in your life. Not only does it reduce blood pressure, reduce the risk of cancer, reduce diabetes, reduce depression, uh, but it makes you feel better. And even if you don't lose an ounce of weight, it will help you live longer. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And it, it does. That kind of exercise improves your physical health and your mental health, 100%. So I agree. And getting them started early, it's really important so that the child develops ha- healthy habits that they like. And that way, staying healthy for life is easier for them because that is part of their routine and the things that they are, are used to, accustomed to. Dara, you said something very important that I want to pick up on, which is, 
do things you like. There's sometimes a misconception that doing healthy things is unpleasant, uh, a task or chore. The key is doing things that you will stick with for life. Mm-hmm. So whether that means finding healthy foods that you love, uh, fruits and vegetables that you, you find enjoyable to eat, uh, dishes that are healthy that you like, whether it's fish or um, peppers or grapes, mm-hmm. or whatever it is that you enjoy that you can eat more of. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for physical activity, whether it's walking your dog or dancing or playing basketball, going to the gym, whatever you really enjoy doing, you'll stick with. Yes. Things that are fun that you enjoy doing that will also allow you to keep doing them. Well, it's like you talked earlier about the public health context. We can each create our own little individual healthy context in our life by surrounding ourselves with opportunities to be healthier in an easier way. That's right. The default value applies to our own lives as well. If you can walk or bicycle instead of uh, driving Mm -hmm. occasionally, if you can take the stairs instead of an elevator Mm -hmm. as a routine, building that into your life is likely to be sustainable in a way that sometimes going to the gym uh, may not be. Right. Exactly. I love that. Do what you like, and that's going to make it easier for you to stick to healthy habits. All right. In our last two minutes, I want to dive into flu season because we are there. I've gotten my flu vaccine. And I wanted to ask you, last year there were some questions about the efficacy of the flu vaccine. What should we expect for this year, and what are you telling consumers? The only thing I can predict about influenza is that it's unpredictable. (laughs) But we know that there will be a flu season. Mm -hmm. And we know that a vaccine is the single best way to protect yourself against the flu. Last year, we had a bad match because there was a change in the main flu virus that circulated. And that change came in just uh, before it hit the U.S. and Mm -hmm. after the vaccine had already been manufactured. So we couldn't do anything about it then. Uh, This year, we uh, anticipate, unless there's a change, uh, that it will be well-matched. In fact, what we've seen so far is well-matched. The next few months will tell for for sure. But even with a not well-matched flu vaccine, it's still the best way to protect right. yourself against flu. I've gotten a flu shot. My family's gotten a flu shot. There are lots of different ways to get uh, immunized against the flu. There's the nasal spray. There mm-hmm. are lots of different needles. There are three-dose and four-dose strains. There's a high-dose strain for elderly. There are lots of ways to get vaccinated. Just get a vaccine. And who should get vaccinated? Everyone over the age of six months. Excellent. And you're right. There are so many different forms. You can talk to your physician about which kind is the most appropriate for you. Lastly, really quickly, where can consumers find more of this information? You can check our website at cdc.gov. Look up anything you're interested in health. And uh, we're here 24-7 to protect Americans from threats, whether they're infectious or non-infectious from this country or around the world, whether they're uh, man-made or naturally occurring. We are so fortunate to have the CDC. I'm thrilled to have it here in Atlanta and to have people like yourselves at the helm of it. So, Dr. Frieden, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to give insight to all of our listeners about all of these really important things and how we can change them and create that healthy context in our own life. For all of our listeners, you can follow Dr. Frieden on Twitter at Dr. Frieden CDC, or you can follow the main CDC account at cdc.gov. For other health news, never forget, follow us at ShareCare Inc. and at Dr. Daria. And thanks for listening to Share Care Radio, where we help you listen to learn to how to feel, look, and be your very best. Thanks for listening and stay well. <laughs>